schedule, and this week is a long overdue episode with Marta Cadavid of No Fraud. As I was reading Fraud Magazine and getting caught up, I saw the article Fraud Triangle Analytics and quickly remembered that I wanted Marta as a guest. Well, here she is. And as a fraud nerd, I really love this episode because of the work being done proactively in the fraud space. Let's go. is back and I am again so incredibly excited to have another Great Women in Fraud amazing guest. And today we have Marta Kadavid. Marta, I want to start with um, a few quick questions and then you give your elevator speech. So when I say the word fraud, what do you think of? Activity. Pardon? Activity. Okay. Okay. And what about ethics? Commitment. Commitment. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's a really good one. Okay. And um, final question for this little speed round is what have you bought in the last, say since COVID for your business or yourself personally that you think has really improved something in your life? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Uh, something that I have bought, um, well, um, I can say that we had a big achievement designing our new website and putting everything to the American standards. I think it was an amazing, amazing achievement. And uh, my partner started with this idea. We say, okay, let's do it. And it's pretty beautiful now. Okay, that is a really good investment. Okay. Yes. That, so that leads us to Marta, give everyone sort of your elevator speech or how you introduce yourself when you meet someone new. Okay, this is Marta Canavit. I am a fighter. I am so passionate about my career and I help people and corporations to fight fraud and add value to corporations. Okay. And I help them to understand that um, fraud, corruption, uh, uh, corporate abuse uh, destroy the value of the companies. Yeah. Now, Marta and I had communicated a while back. She reached out to me, and because I had the summer of craze, um, I kind of dropped the ball. I admit I dropped the ball. And then I getting caught up on my fraud magazines, and you guys can't see it, but all of a sudden, fraud triangle analytics 12 years later and there is marta and i'm like oh god i have to reach back out to her and she responded so quickly but before we get into the article in the fraud magazine you were just in houston i know you were because i had many friends in houston and i heard very good things so what were you talking about at the houston chapter of the acfe well, uh, we were in Houston last week, uh, participating in the 10, uh, 10 conference in Houston for the chapter there. And we talk about the fraud triangle analytics to predict, prevent, and detect fraud, abuse, and misbehaviors in the companies. Okay, so this is interesting. When I was at a large corporation, unnamed, um, it wasn't it wasn't this article you know, 12 or 12 years ago, but I saw a bunch of stuff about, um, uh, basically words in emails. Yeah. 
and um, I'm I'm just spacing on the actual, but um, and I took it to one of the attorneys, and the attorney was like, "That's a nothing burger," and I was yeah. like, "No," <laughs> and I'm no longer there. So I was just so fascinated because I love to read emails of suspects, and um, and to be able to do it in a quicker way, in a better way, and also to not relearn all these things. So. Um, I'm going to ask you, what are a couple of your favorite words that you use in the analytics? Well, uh, first of all, we use expressions because okay. we work with semantics. So it's not only a word, but the favorite expressions that we have is don't tell the auditor. <laughs> Destroy the documents. <laughs> this conversation never happened. <laughs> Um, uh, I hate my boss. Oh, I yes, uh, yes, I hate my boss. I want to quit. Um, this is the kind of things that we deal every day. Of course, there are some expressions, Kelly, that they have more, they are more colorful <laughs> than the other ones that probably we cannot mention here. Uh, but you know. You were right. When you were, you were working in this corporation, we had to open our eyes and uh, trust to our instincts when we are reading something. The most powerful thing is when you are able to feel the, the emotions in a communication. It doesn't matter if it's an email or a chat or something on WhatsApp. It's you are able to read as the person is crying, the person is upset, or the person is happy. So uh, nowadays we are able to bring all of this unstructured data with the combination of semantics to to see this kind of behaviors. That's why we we talk about prediction. We don't need to wait until something bad happens. You know, it's more like a, how we can understand the emotion of the person to anticipate a situation. So going back a little bit, you started out as an um, uh, auditor, controller, accounting professor. And then what made you, uh, and I love <laughs> that you were a consultant and an international coach, because I went through Coach University and I love the coaching model. Like, yeah. I find it so incredibly valuable. I wish I would have learned about it in my 20s. I might, you know, who knows. But, um, and then you go to partner and consultant from, to no fraud. And I just, so simple, no fraud. Like, yeah. you know, genius, so simple. Love it. <laughs> yes. Um, what made you make the leap to out on your own? Well, this is very interesting. So I am from Colombia. And then I became an accountant and I had my master's degree in finance. And I started to work in different corporations doing different things. But I always was uncomfortable when somebody did something wrong in the companies. Okay. One day, uh, somebody sent me an email about a forensic uh, auditing course. And I said, it sounds like a dead people, but let's go. Between you and I, I remember that I didn't have the money and I struggled just to pay this, but I said, okay, let's see. And then that day, I discovered that it was my passion and I was doing this thing for many years, but I didn't know the name. And I said, finally, oops. And I started looking for education in Colombia, but at the, at the time, 
it was not good enough. This topic was not uh, good for the country. So I found a wonderful tutor or mentor, and she's a Colombian woman and in Tampa, and she say, forget Colombia, I'm sorry, you need to put the eyes and the ACP and, and other corporations and other institutions. And it, it became an upset. In fact, can you imagine I didn't speak English at all? My English is not that good now. Can you imagine 10 years it's ago? Excellent. <laughs> I start to study English, at least to understand the material. And then for any reason, the universe conspired. And I am here now in Chicago. I changed, I met my husband, and then I start to study a lot. And I became a certified for examiner in 2014. And it was one of the biggest achievements in my life. In my life. And I didn't lose the connection be, um, despite I was trying to understand the culture and get used to everything, all, all of these changes in my life. I say, okay, the only way to be uh, online with my career is being a consultant. So I start to talk in public. I, I create my, my podcast as well. The, uh, and the name in Spanish is Fraudial Desnudo. And then I say I had to do something. Then my partner sent me an email, uh, a message on LinkedIn. Can we talk? And he said, well, this is my lesson. And he said, well, I am creating something. It's a crazy, it's a crazy idea. It's about through triangle analytics. And I would like that you participate in the project. And you say, okay, I, I am not doing anything else. Why not? And then we start with the Flow Explorer. And now it's one of the biggest uh, tools that we can use to predict uh, human behaviors, wrong human behaviors. And then little by little, I start to get more experience talking more in public. I had the opportunity to work for a large a uh, corporation here in the United States, a global company. And then my career since there has been, a, you know, has been amazing. Yeah. The same thing for me, the ACFE. I remember when I decided to get my CFE, I was on the East Coast doing background investigations for um, the Office of Personnel Management. And I was like, I, I want fraud. I, I, I just, I love fraud. I love fraud because of the human decisions that lead to fraud. And um, so when you sit around and you think of expressions and semantics, do you like, I, I just picture, you know, <laughs> kind of like a scene out of a television show where you're like, uh, I hate my boss. Let's add that one. Um, it is, or is it much more sort of scientific, like doing an after action review of a case or is it both? No, it's a, it's a bunch of co uh, the combinations that the resources that we have. So when we start the library, so the first 3,000, maybe 4,000 expressions, it, it was more like a, how people express. So I start to think about perpetrators. Then since um, I am an international coach and trainer, I start to uh, ask my students and uh, can you please let me know how they say corrupt in Dominican Republic and in Puerto Rico, in Costa Rica? And then I, I continued feeding this. But to elevate the library at the point that's today, uh, we found anthropologists. 
in different countries to understand the culture because the library nowadays is in English and Spanish. But remember, we speak in different, uh, with different words because everything depends where you are, okay? It's, it's, it's a culture situations and we are very respectful about this. So that's why we understand culture. So we incorporate anthropologists and then to elevate the library a little more, now we work with cases. So uh, different disclassified information that is around. So we start to read what, how people talk. Something that I realized, Kelly, is it's not people in the upper management, board directors, people in the high level positions, they speak totally different than people on the ground, okay? So they use something more sophisticated. So we need to move between all of these levels. And uh, we are still going with the library. It never stops, never. That's just so fascinating because you have tone at the top, mood in the middle, in middle. and mood in the middle. And um, yeah, and, and, and it does change. So like if yes. you went and you, you know, the sort of famous case about emails is Bill Gates. So, so long ago, sending things in emails. Now people have gotten smarter. They've done it. They, you know, can text, WhatsApp, things like that. But also just the vernacular, like, Instead of saying, instead of typing out, okay, it could just be K or like, I'm on it could be, I have a friend who's just, when I ask her something, she's just like on it, you know, Mm -hmm. so it changes. We've shortened things. Yes. Yes. And in the anthropology, well, so this is the other, I think we both can nerd out on this is the merging of the academic world where they can Mm -hmm. study this. And the actual business world, I think, yes. is so incredibly important. Yes. For example, the library is built in a certain way that the person doesn't need to write the whole expression. Or even though there are uh, mistakes typing, the algorithm is able to capture the expressions in the right way. So it's amazing what we have built is because we are typing and we type so fast and sometimes we make mistakes and we, as you say, it's not okay. It's just K. So we understand that, oh, she's talking about, okay, this is fine. Yes. This is the power of artificial intelligence. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Which I didn't attend the ACFE Global, but I know someone did a presentation on emojis. Do you have emojis in? No, not yet, but we are working on that. Yes, especially because young people uh, can uh, talk a lot about emojis. And also, I know somebody that's very close to me that uh, for a period of uh, her life was talking through emojis to avoid any leak to the press. Let's call it that way. So, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, so we are, it's in our plans. And the same thing, um, Portuguese. So as I told you before, it's in English and Spanish, but now we are talking about Portuguese because Brazil is a huge, huge, huge country 
that uh, is needing this, so especially uh, for corruption and fraud, obviously. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Just the idea of emojis. And there was actually a case where um, a woman got caught embezzling and that was the pink collar crime. And then her husband fell off a boat and it turns out he had a lot of Benadryl in him and she's, I believe, under investigation for his murder now. But what was interesting is they said, um, it was, I'm not sure what period before he was murdered, maybe. Um, he started using emojis. Mm-hmm. And his friends and family said he never used emojis ever in his life. And so they are inferring that his wife, who is the alleged killer of him, all mm-hmm. alleged, um, took his phone and was setting up texts about things. So evidence in the past and they said he would never use emojis so the patterns of someone like oh my gosh my husband never did emojis and then when he figured it out because he was around college kids he started doing emojis and i was like oh my god what what's happened to you you know (laughs) but it's that change in behavior yeah yeah, that's 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 true. And young people use a lot of emojis. I had my son, and sometimes he say, "I love you," and he sends the the little heart, the right heart. Okay. And sometimes when we are very busy, we we don't say the whole thing. So say if I am in the hairdresser, I just send something with my nails. And so you see, sometimes it could be easier for us. That's why we need to understand how people communicate, even with emojis, because it's part of the culture. So you are just a total fraud nerd geek, which I am just <laughs> loving so much. And you are really pushing yourself and the industry forward by doing this. Now, this is and people who know me, attorneys, Luddites, when it comes to technology. What is your experience with, say, the legal field and doing this library? Ah, uh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, first of all, right to, yes, and, and you know, Kelly, because sometimes it's frustrating, but let me clarify something. The, when I joined to, when I jumped to the project, Julian Rios, who is one of your fans, uh, he, he had the idea and he created the whole structure. So he's the genius one. So, but I deal every day. I deal every day with this kind of situation with companies. And it's not only about lawyers, it's about compliance people, finance people, because unfortunately, Kelly, they see fraud like encapsulated in another universe. It's like, oh, they're in the corner, okay? It's it's fraud, oh, go, go to the corner and try to solve it there. The problem about fraud is that it's, it's in the whole company, and we need to understand that fraud destroys the value of the company. No, not only the values and the integrity and ethics. No, 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 no. It's, it's economic value, okay? The thing is that when we talk to lawyers, they are more about, they talk more about sanctions and penalties and fines, which is horrible because this is part of the the losses as well and taxes as well too. So they need to understand that it's not only about money, it's about human behavior. And then it's for everybody. So that's why I always recommend talk about fraud holistically. 
is, is a holistic thing. The another thing, Kelly, when somebody wants to defraud the company, they don't think like, ah, let's see what is the rule of the account rule that I'm going to break today. No, no, no. What is the global standard that I am going to damage today? A perpetrator always think holistic. They don't care about these things. They just have, have the idea and say, this is the plan. Okay. The difference between us is that we are too narrow. And that's a problem with lawyers, compliance people, finance people. And I'm sorry, I, I talk about this in public because we need to be awake. We need we come. Well, well, you said that was just so interesting to me. I mean, all of it is, but you're like, oh, the fraud's just in that corner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, no, the fraud is not just in that corner. And they're thinking of bad guys. They, and that's the whole reason that I do my pink collar crime is it's the crime on main street, because we have a vision of criminals as being bad people, people uh-huh. that don't look like us. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's the mistake, Kelly. I know we we have learned a lot or read a lot of articles about what, uh, why good people act wrongly or make bad things. Remember the ethics rule, 10% of people never, never will do something wrong. The other 10% of people, they are the, the perpetrators, the bad ones that always are scratching the controls. Okay. Overriding the controls. And here in the middle, there we are. 80% 80% of people who can commit fraud, it depends on the crisis, it depends on the pilots. So, so far, I belong to the 80%. So far, I haven't done anything wrong, probably because I don't, I am good with crisis. I planned my future very well. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> Two months ago, I was in a dinner, a dinner with my husband and another couple. Okay. And this person, I start to talk about what I'm, what I was doing. And I say, well, yes, uh, we had this, we developed this. Okay. And he said, so you you mean that if um, I had a problem with my kids and then I need money and I take money from the company, it's fraud. And he said, yes, it's fraud. He said, no, that's not fraud. Because I, listen to me, I will do everything for my kids and my and my grandkids even though if I need that money to go to a hospital, it cannot be fraud. You see, so now we had this 80% divided. I say, no, probably I will never commit fraud. And he said, no, so far I haven't committed fraud, but if I, I need it, I will do it only for my kids. I have a colleague who said he would never commit fraud. And I said, you have a daughter. You cannot say that. Exactly, because everything depends on the situation today. There's a woman that I show in one of my presentations. She's 87 years old and she stole $27,000 because her husband got cancer and she needed to eat. Yes. And I am not going to sit in judgment of someone like that. I have not had to make that choice. Thank goodness. Knock on wood. But I will not sit in judgment of someone like that. I think it's, that's the, the good part, Kelly. When you say you cannot judge people, uh, we learned that we work with problems. We work with complicated situations. We don't 
how we cannot say that person is bad or is a good human being. No, but we are responsible in anticipating these situations. I have a case. This is a corporation. The 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 security guard had a lot of problems during COVID, in a horrible situation, economic problems everywhere. And he sent an email through uh, three emails to human resources looking for help. I can read the email and, and, feel, and feel his his tears. You know, it was a bad situation and human resources never answered these emails. So we were talking to the fraud area department and auditors and they didn't say, oh, this is normal. We don't have to deal with this. And I said, wait a minute. Do you know where the warehouse is? No. And I say, I know where the warehouse is because I live in that area. Behind the warehouse is a micro a corridor for drugs, okay? So if somebody knows, okay, with these gangsters, they know that the person, this uh, guard has a, lot, has a lot of problems. They can use the guard to hide drugs and maybe something worse in the warehouse. Oh. Yeah. yeah, the man never say anything about to do something wrong, but he was like this like this with the pressure and probably the opportunity. This is the thing that we need to understand about human being. Okay, so this goes into sort of my latest sort of obsession is fraud in pop culture. Oh. And, you know, Hollywood does that. You know, you see movies or TV shows where, you know, they know that the 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 guards are, you know, they owe the bookie money or something like that. And that's how they can get into it. So um, I have to ask you, did you watch Narcos in Colombia? No, I watched, technically no. I watched uh, maybe two or three uh, episodes. And I did it more because my husband is from Chicago and he was curious about Narcos. So um, I know the story because I live it. (laughs) I was a teenager when, first of all, I moved to Chicago nine years ago. So I, my whole life, I lived in Colombia, in Medellin. So I know the story very well. So um, this kind of programs and shows don't show the reality and how we live or we lived at, at the time. Okay. And there are still a, a lot of problems. We cannot be blind. Okay. But it's more like uh, how can get more audience? But sometimes they they are very romantic with the real losses, with the real story, okay? Because they cannot talk about everything that real happened there. Yes. yes. But there are, are many. Are there any shows or movies that you do like that ha- have like fraud in them? Uh, so that I like? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh no! Recommend that I recommend the Swindle. It's uh, the um, everything about scammers. Uh, Netflix has the ten episodes about the biggest fraud scandals. Um, no, they are good things. That they are real cases. I love American Greed. I yeah. love American Greed. Um, I think I I always recommend something that the FBI and other authorities have released. They are real cases. Okay. I love that part. 
something that I have been watching recently is uh, about uh, airports, how they oh. can, the smugglers, okay? This is another important thing that we need to know. It's not only about fraud, it's uh, about money laundering, it's about contraband. Mm, yes, especially in different countries. Yeah, it's, it's everything that is in real cases, I, I highly recommend it to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will put links to the no fraud and the blog, the blog. You have a great blog that you just posted the article for fraud magazine skills of the fraud investigator. I love this one. Arrogance and fraud. Yes. Um, that you have great, great, um, blog posts. And then the case study. Do you want to talk briefly about the case study? Of course. So this is a man who uh, is starting this company. This is a company like a, a travel agency company, and he, he is starting a, a, a law position uh, as, as associated. And little by little, he starts to, to grow in the company because the man is very smart. He's still alive. And then <clears throat> um, he gained the trust of everybody, including the board directors, and the company paid for his education and MBA. And then in his last position, he was like a, the, the chief technology officer because he was able to create a strategy to take this travel agency to e-commerce, which is a, it was a huge thing, thing for this company. And then he has the power and the man was very arrogant. So now we don't deal with the fraud triangle things like a pressure opportunity or rationalization. We have capabilities, skills, and now ego and arrogance. So he knew that uh, he has the power and he started to buy uh, or to, I don't know, he created a shell company. He put um, one of his colleagues as a legal representative he knew the gaps for controls in the company. So due diligence didn't realize that the legal representative was one of his, <laughs> the workers in the company. He knew that. And he has uh, the DOA to buy until uh, up to uh, 100K. So he has started to divert payments, uh, you know, below to this threshold about maybe $50,000, $8,000 per, per week. So the problem with that, uh, it, it took about $4 million uh, in almost two years. Company didn't know anything about. But the problem was he was arrogant. He believes that he can do everything, that he has the power to uh, address the company to, the, to a successful story. And then in the interview, <clears throat> he was convinced that he, he didn't do anything wrong. And he treated the investigators and us like, a, tell me anything, tell me another story. Finally, he got down. And just when we say, yes, we know everything about you, your life. Uh, but he created all of this bubble of arrogance and power because he was able to put this company in an important level. The company now is, the, is in the top 10 travel agencies in, in, in America. This is an important company. Wow. 
Okay, so this leads me naturally to a question that I didn't ask you at the beginning. Um, who makes better embezzlers, men or women? Um, uh, Kelly, mm, better in, in what terms? Oh, that's, oh, you caught on that. Okay, so um, better in that they steal uh, more often. Who steals more often? Man. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Um, Man, you know why? Because women are more, women start with abuse little by little. Okay. The problem is that in this level, it's, it's hard to, to detect the problem because people don't believe that a corporate abuse is fraud, another myth that there's nothing. And they and they start like this, going up. Okay, so for me, it's more men are more risky for me. For me, the problem about women is that we are capable to do whatever we need to do. So I love my gender, and I had to admit that it's hard for me to know that that a woman commits fraud. But we are very smart and we are more, how can I say, the pocket face. We can put the pocket face easily and we use our <clears throat> yeah. beauty and talent, let's call it that way, to hide, to cover up, you know. Hashtag never underestimate a woman. One of my yep. favorites. Yes. And people underestimate women all the time. Oh, Yes. Yes. So going to the fraud library, do you, do you, I mean, can you analyze gender differences in your fraud library? Well, um, or we maybe don't have the part going forward. We don't have something like this, but maybe we can do it. Yes, we can do it. What we have, we had fraud, we have corruption and we had, a negative and hostile uh, work environment. Because we didn't have the last part. It was not our focus, but <laughs> since the happiest companies, <laughs> yeah. anyways, have these problems, we say, let's create value, okay? Let's cap, let's analyze this information and put it in a in a report. And then, yes, even the happiest companies they want to kill each other inside in silence. <laughs> oh my god! So, oh my gosh, this leads me to another thing that happened to me a long, long time ago. I did a presentation for a. Uh, um, it was like an. Uh, it was the company was called Iovation, and they've since been bought by TransUnion. But they would look at um, bad IP addresses and devices. Mm -hmm. And um, a long, long time ago, say if you're Home Depot and you got ripped off by a bad credit card, you wouldn't share that information with your competitor like Lowe's. Mm -hmm. But then. This company really helped and fraud professionals really helped saying, hey, Home Depot, do you think that um, if you just squirrel that information away, that they're not going to go to Lowe's? You guys need to share the information because yes. these people don't care. They'll hit wherever they can go. And so what was really funny is there's this woman from Australia. I believe she was from Australia. And she said, 
you know what? We just put all the bad actors in kind of a playground and then they all try and rip each other off. It was kind of because people think like, well, I'm not going to share that we got ripped off, but you know what? The bad actors in an environment like that, they're going to rip anyone off. So let's like not put a, you know, a scarlet E or a scarlet F for fraud, but we need to share information. It's, it's not to, to mark somebody. It's not in the way. It's because we need to understand human behavior and to perpetrators, okay? If it's something is happening in a store, let's think like a Home Depot, it's going to replicate another store. If we are open to share this information, open in terms that they talk each other every week, for example, or when they find an alert, they say, okay, my partner-in-law, I have found this credit card and on this person acting in this way. The perpetrator knows that since companies feel afraid or shame to, um, to release information, to talk about fraud, they know that they can go to different stores. They know that. So yeah. perpetrators don't lose time. Do you think that the perpetrator is going to try to see if it's possible? No, they know, first of all, where the, con- the lack of controls are. They know the companies that don't share information and they know who is vulnerable. You know, this is the point. If we talk about fraud and the front line, they say we don't accept any misbehavior and neither internal or external. So the perpetrators say it's wasting time. I don't go there. Yes. Yes. Well, Marta, in wrapping up, what do you, I mean, I, I see I see your company going so far. I see licensing agreements. I see governments using this. And I love the fact that you've ended up here and not even ended up here. This is just a stop along the way, because this is with the amount of trade that we do, the global trade that we do, um, the speed at which we do transactions, we need to we need to have this. Yes, Kelly. Uh, we started the project seven years ago in Colombia. We had a big couple companies, the early adapters, and now they are super happy with wow. us. Now we have more clients, and so far we had 70, 73,000 endpoints. It means people who has been monitoring. Uh, mm, we decide to move uh, not for all the time to United States because we want to tell everybody that it's possible to predict with an structured data because we decide to take this challenge. We know with structured data, they are another market. It is a, a red ocean. We don't want to go there. We want to to work with an structured data, human behavior analytics, um, natural processing language to help companies to address the 70, 75% of data that now is orphaned. Nobody knows how can work with that. We decide to take it and say, this is the way to do it. So far, it has been successful. Uh, we have a lot of clients. We work a lot. And we say, OK, let's put it in the United States. I know it takes time. We are doing this uh, step by step, talking to people like you. Because at the end of the day, it's not only a product, it's a methodology. 
back in, um, in an academic research done years ago, fraud triangle analytics. And we combine yeah. it with artificial intelligence, and he has been working for a while. Many people ask that it, it doesn't work. I say, well, I think yeah. so, because we live with that. <laughs> oh, yes. Marta. Thank you so much for like, I, I, I was so excited to read this. I'm so excited to have you on this and I look forward to having you back. And um, maybe we could like even the next episode, do a walkthrough of an actual case. How about that? Perfect. It sounds amazing. Just count on me and hopefully we can educate people to understand that it's, pro- it's possible to be proactive, guys. It's possible to anticipate events. You don't need to say, oh, I found the fraud. You need the applause. You get it. You create it. This is the, this is the moment that we need in our lives. Okay. Thank you, Marta. Thank you, Kelly. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Bye.